us your first thoughts on scripture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of First Thoughts with me, Damon Jensen Heitman, one of the pastors, First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church here in uh, false springtime Hastings today. Yeah. It's supposed to be 77 degrees today, and it's still February. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So now this, to me, is, is problematic. Well, yeah. I, I, I wasn't celebrating it. I was just acknowledging it. Everybody, they're out there, out there dancing in the streets. Everybody's just so excited. Well, I mean, I'm uh, going just... to enjoy the nice weather while still having a sense of concern about what it means. Yeah. I, no, that's, I, I, no, I refuse to be happy about it. I, I didn't say I was happy about it. Probably a, a grumpy sort of a thing but yeah um that's fine yeah we had a blast of very very cold weather in january and then it has been incredible we had an incredibly mild december and it's been incredibly mild since that blast of cold weather we had maybe three weeks of winter yeah maybe yeah yeah, it's like they squeezed the entirety of Nebraska's winter into three weeks because mm-hmm. we got a lot of snow and it stuck around for a while and we had big piles and all that stuff and now it's gone. Yeah. And I think it's rained maybe once. Yeah, then that's the other since then. That's like, the other piece of it that's scary. I saw in the weather forecast this morning we're like high fire danger today because it's all dry. Yeah. Haven't gotten rain. Hasn't and really it's gonna be windy. Rained for two months. Yep. Really. So but, you know, people haven't come here for the weather forecast. No, that's true. This is not a weather forecast podcast. You know, they haven't come here for the the climate report. Nor that. I don't think. <laughs> if they did, they made... It worked out for them somehow. Uh, this week. Yeah, but they kind of made a mistake. Yeah. Um, what, what, why are they probably here, Greg? Well, we're, we're doing the First Thoughts podcast, which is where uh, Pastor Damon and I offer our first thoughts on the scripture that will be preached on Sunday. We take a look at the text. We ask questions of the text. We let the text ask questions of us and uh, kind of start our creative juices flowing for the week uh, yeah. as we prepare to uh, proclaim this scripture and as our, our youth are going to study it in Sunday school and all that stuff. So that's what we're doing. Um but we usually open with the word of prayer, don't we? We do. And I and think it's your turn. I think so as well. Somehow I've managed to remember that, which is a surprise. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, as we continue to gather during the season of Lent, during these 40 days of uh, repentance, of penitence, as these 40 days of careful consideration of the gift of your grace and our need for it. Ask that your spirit uh, of truth, your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of curiosity might be with us as we begin to study the scriptures for the Sunday ahead. May these words uh, fall into our hearts and may they grow there. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're yeah. continuing our walk through the Gospel of Mark. Um <clears throat> 
we're we're actually skipping around just a smidge because uh, of the way that Lent and Holy Week work. So we're continuing these intensive stories of Jesus, but Jesus has actually made his way to Jerusalem. Yeah, in Mark, Palm Sunday kind of happened in the Mark text, but we jumped over that. And now we're studying some of Jesus' stories in that week that he's in Jerusalem before us. And then we'll jump back to Palm Sunday and then we'll jump forward to Easter. Yeah. Um, I noticed this more this year than in other years. I mean, a similar thing happens in the in the narrative, not the narrative. The revised, the common, revised lectionary. common lectionary. Yeah. And I'm more, I think more this year than I've ever thought before. That like, why, why don't we just do Palm Sunday earlier? Hmm. What, like, why are we doing this? We like, especially with the narrative lectionary. And I mean, I understand it'd be <laughs> a big ask. Yeah. So like, hey, let's just change where Palm Sunday is. Right. But if I would assume that part of the idea, I mean, what we've been doing so far in the narrative lectionary is just going through the story, tracking the story yeah. of Jesus. Yep. And you know, we skip some chapters and some parts and that sort of stuff, but. And why not just do Palm Sunday in narrative order? Yeah. And and then spend Lent. And spend the year remaining Sundays. Focusing on the stories of Jesus from the, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem up to the Last Supper and his death and crucifixion. There's yeah. enough material there to cover three or four weeks. There seems to be. Well, there is. Yeah. Because we're going to do it. We're That's just going to exactly do it out of order. we're going to do yeah, and then we're going to skip back to Palm Sunday. That's interesting, because I I think in some level it's important to know that the story we're about to read takes place in the week before Jesus' crucifixion. He is yes. in Jerusalem uh, around Passover time. Lots of people are there. Lots of religious folk are there, and that's an important detail in this story. Um, and then we're going to backtrack to Palm Sunday here in about four weeks. Um, yeah. So yeah, but. Yeah, like as I said, more this year than in other years that stood out to me as a like, oh, why are we doing this? Yeah, <laughs> you know what we could do. Same similar things happens in Advent. Yep, which I always think is strange. Yeah, where Advent one starts with some sort of like prophecy about doom and the, mm -hmm. <laughs> so what? What? Why are we? I don't. What? Okay, all right. Yeah. In this case, with the Revised Common Lectionary, that was sort of established in the 80s, and it was by committee. The Narrative Lectionary was um, established by a couple of seminary professors at Luther Seminary up in Minnesota who are still alive and are still seminary professors. So we could in, actually conceivably reach out to them and say, hey, why yeah. did you choose to do it this way? Mm -hmm. And my guess is they would say that, well, that's kind of how the Revised Common Lectionary does it. It, uh, it, it would be a really big tradition for any particular church to change particularly change palm sunday because palm right. sunday historically always follows the sunday because mm -hmm. in theory palm sunday and easter were seven days apart jesus triumphant entry into jerusalem was about seven days before easter sunday sure. yeah yeah um but yeah no it would be it would be interesting mm -hmm. yeah okay well that's I don't know if that's here, there, or there, but it is where it is. Uh, so this is Mark 12, verses 1 through 12, and it reads something like this. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, 
put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants? And Excuse me, it's not a question. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him and went away. Greg, what do you got? So this is, um, Jesus is speaking a story that would be familiar to a Jewish audience. We actually preached on this same passage in Isaiah yeah. uh, back in November. Um, the this story of a, of a vineyard being planted. Uh, but in Isaiah, it has a slightly different ending because the vineyard en- ends up yielding bad grapes. And so... Uh, after being carefully tended and a watchtower being built and a wine press being built and the whole thing is destroyed. Yeah. Uh, but that's exactly what we've got here. Um, and astute hearers of this would hear a man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. They'd be like, ah, I know this. Story. He's referencing the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Right. <clears throat> and then it goes on and the story changes and I read a couple of commentaries that said this is <clears throat> directly reflecting on um, sort of the the arc of the people of Israel. Um, so the people of Israel, in, in the Isaiah, the people of Israel is the vineyard. Yes, but like in, the, the entire group. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the collective known as Israelites. Yes. Yeah. And in this case, it's the tenants who are Israel. Uh, or the, they're at least the religious leaders of Israel. Um, and what you have is uh, this series of servants that's being sent to collect, mm-hmm. uh, represent the Old Testament prophets coming and prophesying to Israel sure. to tell them that they have <coughs> done their job. Um, and and Israel reacts, and, and, and we read throughout the Old Testament, this is how Israel reacts to the prophets. Yeah. Right. They either kill them or beat them or send them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the last prophet being sent to them is, in this case, the beloved son, which harkens back to Mark chapter one at Jesus' baptism. Yeah. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Um, or the transfiguration. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jesus is the final 
uh, prophet, so to speak, being sent to the people to tell them what's needed. And, of course, they kill him as well. Yeah. Um, and the difference is we're reading this with the eyes of being an Easter people or a resurrection people. We know that the story doesn't end with his death. Right. right? Mm-hmm. That he is resurrected. Um, but that's that's sort of what biblical scholars say is that that's sort of the, the subtext of this parable. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense when you sort of read it that way. Yeah, it certainly seems to, like it certainly seems to be a pretty clear critique, right? I mean, and even the people who are hearing it realize that this is a critique of, of them, of them, yep, I, of the um, re- religious leaders or um, yeah, whoever whoever that's really supposed to to imply. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you like this parable? Uh, no. <laughs> Why not? Uh, mostly because uh, of the vengefulness of the vineyard owner coming and destroying the tenants. Uh, it's like the least pastoral parable. It's the least pastoral vision of God in the New Testament, right? It's consistent with much of what we read about God in the Old Testament, but uh, with the New Covenant and the New Testament, you don't often read about a, a vengeful God. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not crazy about that part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and this, like, this isn't, this is a different gospel, but um, I mean, Matthew has Jesus telling stories about God separating wheat from chaff and throwing people into the outer darkness where there will be much weeping and gnashing mm-hmm. of teeth. That's, that's fair. I mean, yeah. I, that, that's a different gospel narrative. Right. Um, but yeah, there is a, there's a real harshness mm-hmm. to this, um, to this parable and, and to this idea. Um, <laughs> my first question is, why does the why does the owner leave? Yeah, it's I I'm <laughs> I mean I I because he needed to <laughs> to make the story make sense I think, but why what's he got going on in the other country? Um, Perhaps other vineyards to buy and grapes to plant. I yeah, don't know. yeah, yeah, maybe it seems as though a lot of this could have been avoided if. If the owner would have just stayed there and run the place, he clearly has his own staff. That's putting it lightly. They're slaves, um, who one would presume could run the vineyard, right? Um, why, why lease it out to to somebody else? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. And then I'm reading it. And um, they beat up the first one. They beat up the second one over the head. They send another one, and then another one, and then many others. Like, some they beat, some they killed. But so there's no that, that and, gets back to though the, like the persistence of God's love and care for the people. 
Mm-hmm. He just keeps trying. And and that is also consistent with the Old Testament narrative. He sends prophet after prophet after prophet to try to get them back on track. Listen, you're not living the way that you're supposed to. And and we, we noticed that pattern in the fall when we were reading story after story after story from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's like God people strayed. God's people strayed. Um God reminded them of their disobedience. God forgave them and offered them a second chance. God's people strayed. God reminded them of their disobedience. God forgave them and offered them a second chance. Mm-hmm. And we kept that repeated pattern over and over. And that's essentially what this is outlining in a much shorter format mm-hmm. rather than going through all of the books or all the prophets of the Old Testament. It, right. it condenses it into one brief narrative. Yeah. And so, yes, yes, it is. It is very reflective of that process. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking at some point, just show up yourself. Hmm. How many, how many of your slaves, your servants, are you going to keep sending for them to get beaten or killed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like at what point are you just going to show up yourself and and deal with this issue, right? Are 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 you hinting at the incarnation? I mean, isn't that what Jesus is? <laughs> no, I'm not. I no, I'm not. I, that, I mean, it could. There's be. the answer to your question. God did finally show up Himself in God's in human form, kind of, but not. I mean, in a different form, because like, the the. This is, and then you're gonna send your son into. This is a clearly a dangerous environment, right? And then you're gonna send your beloved son into this, thinking like I don't. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about like the various sort of psalms um, that attempt in some way to sort of hold God accountable mm-hmm. to like um, the Reverend Dr. Walter Chip Bizard, one my undergraduate professor um, described the Psalms as, as saying God like God you got the juice so like you got like you need to show up and and deal with this mm-hmm. um, and rectify this Situation, rectify this evil that mm-hmm. that has taken place, and I think maybe this, the stone that the builders has rejected, is a quote from a psalm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that psalm might be one of those sorts of psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, is it's just if the vineyard owner is supposed to be God, mm-hmm. then at what point <laughs> should God just show up, God's self? In a very sort of in a very clear way, and say, so, "Okay, this that's enough of this. We're not doing this anymore." And again, isn't that the story of Jesus? I guess, but it doesn't really like his son shows up and it doesn't really fix anything in this story. Well, his son gets killed, and then we know the rest of the story is resurrected, and. It's a it's a weird parable. Well, it is. I think, and, and it you don't like it because it's so violent, right? 
I think it's weird because like this could all be avoided. <laughs> You're assuming these tenants wouldn't also decide to just kill the vineyard owner? Well, they didn't need to ever be there to start with. <laughs> That's a reading of this parable. <laughs> it's just, there's, yeah, there's just interesting stuff going on in it, right? Also, like, uh, he sends somebody to collect from them, this is in verse 2, his share of the produce of the vineyard. What is, th- what is his, sh- what is the produce? That's wine. Okay, Th- that's in the story. <laughs> but metaphorically, what are we supposed to think that the produce is, do you think? It's show me the production of a godly life, right? Show me how you have done what I've told you to do, Mm -hmm. Um, which God pretty clearly outlines in the Old Testament. These are are my expectations for you. And rather than them showing them the production of a godly life, they kill the messenger, Mm -hmm. which is, again, what they do with all of these prophets in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Not all of them get killed, but they're all pretty badly abused by. And then these guys realize that this is this is about them, right? right? Mm-hmm. Jesus has already foretold his death three times in the Gospel of Mark, right? This is the fourth foretelling of his death, but he's doing it in the form of a parable, right? Mm-hmm. Although it's that part's almost not even parable. That's pretty direct. Right? Because he, he's the beloved son. They're going to know that he's self-referring to himself. There. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I think it... Part of me just feels as though, uh, you know, finally he sent to them, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. I don't know what in their behavior up to that point would make you think, oh, they'll respect my son. Right. <laughs> so, just show up. Just do it. <laughs> but it's also interesting that they, um, the, the thinking of the tenants changes slightly. Once the heir shows up, mm-hmm. right? Because this is, oh, this is the heir. They recognize the heir somehow. Maybe he says, I'm the heir when they shows up. Come, let us kill him. And then, and the inheritance will be ours, mm-hmm. which is different than like, we just kind of want to keep all the produce right, for ourselves. No, we want to get the whole vineyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Into, into perpetuity. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know what to make of it. I just noticed it. That's all. 
It's a weird parable, for sure. But so are a lot of Jesus' parables. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're also you know shrouded in different culture and context and um, and all those sorts of things as yeah. well. But I don't know. What do we? What else? What do we miss? I mean, I, I think it's 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 all there. Question is, how are we going to suss it out and preach about it and figure out its relevance for us today? There's yeah. a there's a there's a danger. This text has often been used um, to criticize the religious leaders, which has veered into anti-Semitism, and so mm-hmm. we have to be very careful with this text in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's another warning, I suppose, of this text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the you know we read these stories, parables. And there's generally pretty clear heroes and villains mm-hmm. in them. And we sort of, I think, tend to, tend to want to imagine ourselves as the heroes mm-hmm. in the story. And it can, which can be illuminating mm-hmm. to do. And it can be equally illuminating to imagine ourselves as the villains right. in the story. I think that this is um, one of the scriptures that's, in this week's Lenten devotional, mm-hmm. like it pops up, and I think the prayer that I wrote for it um, was like three sentences, <laughs> and it was, um, you know, if I am this character in the story, then you know, let me learn this lesson. If I'm this character in the story, then let me learn this lesson, and if I'm this character in the story, then let me learn this. Right, like, and to acknowledge our own, like, that we like we ourselves are not always the heroes in the story. Um, I think is a really important and and can be an interesting exercise for us. Like, yeah, if I'm the tenant in this story, then let me recognize your servants when I see them. Right, you know. Right, and it, I mean. It, it, it's always hypothetical and it's always difficult to know, but um, having myself not lived through the civil rights era and not not knowing a lot of people who lived through the civil rights era in the South, where would I have been? Yeah. What side would I have stood on? Um, thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. as one of those modern day prophets who was preaching the word of God in a way that was ruffling feathers to the point that it got him killed. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of my my heroes that I think sort of fits that mold is uh, Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was a Catholic priest in El Salvador, and there was a military dictatorship, a junta, that uh, had sort of aligned itself with the Roman Catholic Church. And... Uh, the Catholic Church was not publicly decrying what the military dictatorship was doing, particularly to the peasants and the indigenous people. And there was a vacancy for the bishop, and they picked Romero to fill that vacancy, thinking that he was kind of a nerdy biblical scholar and that he wouldn't make a lot of waves or push back against the fact that the military dictatorship was doing this. And so they intentionally put him in that position for that reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, he became uh, a champion for the poor and the marginalized, for the indigenous people and the peasant farmers. 
uh, and that led to him, and he was a prophetic voice speaking about justice, and that led to him being killed. And again, if, if I place myself in Central America in the late 70s as a wealthy landowner who's benefiting from the military junta yeah. and benefiting from their alignment with the Roman Catholic Church, whose side would I have been on? Um, and so it just, I think we can we can pull even examples from the 20th century of prophetic voices that were beaten or killed, um, that were speaking. Uh, we can look back now on speaking, I think, godly words. Yeah. Um, and they were not well received by the people of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's important to recognize that um, where, where we would have stood on those issues. Like looking back, knowing the end of the story, of course, we would say, oh, I would stand on the side of justice. But Sure. But would we? Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's part of the... I think that is also part of the task of the season of Lent, mm-hmm. right? Is to is to take the time and be willing to be self-reflective in a way that says, "How am? Are there ways that I am like the tenants in this story? And and if so, let me acknowledge those. And, and these are similar questions. You know, where would I have? stood or where do I stand right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I, if there are ways that I am like the tenants, then let me ask for forgiveness and let me attempt to repent, be to turn different. away from, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that, yeah, that is what the season of Lent is all about. And so this, I think this parable puts us in that place if we allow it to. It's an uncomfortable spot to be in. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but there we stand. Yeah, there you go. Well, you think it'll preach? I mean, it'll preach. Yeah. It's going to make us all squirm a little bit, myself included. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that sounds good. Prayer time? Yeah, let's, uh, let's pray. All right. Gracious and loving God, as we continue to reflect on this parable of the tenants, Allow us to put ourselves in the position of the different characters in this parable and to look around and reflect on where we might be and what we might be called to do in those particular situations. And as we take on the, the character of the tenant God, let us think about the ways that we perhaps are stifling the voices of um, messengers of God that are trying to teach us about ways of love or compassion or justice or righteousness uh, and help us, God, to, to turn away from that and turn towards you. It's in Jesus' holy and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. And that's all we have to say about that. But um, bum All right. What's, what's going on? What's going on? Well, we are... Deep in the season of Lent. Deep. Uh, two Sundays in. Two Sundays plus a half a week because it starts on, yeah. you know, Ash Wednesday. So, yeah, uh, our worship schedule is uh, we have our contemplative worship service at 830 in the chapel with communion. And we have our traditional worship service at 1030 in the sanctuary. Uh, this Sunday, uh, March 3rd, we will also have communion at our 1030 service. 
mm-hmm. as we do the first Sunday of every month. And so uh, that's what's going on with worship during this season yeah. of Lent. Now, I changed the order of these on this little sheet mm-hmm. to, to, to put them into chronological order. I ignored it. And you just, you just blew right past that. Blew right through it. Yeah. Hmm. But okay, so before we get to Sunday, what happens? Uh, we have Wednesday Night Live. Uh, right. So we have mealtime at 5 o'clock for children, youth, and their families. Uh, all are welcome to come down and have a meal at the church. At 5.30, the kids roll into uh, their programming, which includes choir practice, bell choir practice, Bible study, and rec time. Um, and that's for uh, preschool through high school. Uh, and then also Friday evening, we have our adult choir, chancel choir practice and our adult chancel bell practice. And Friday evening? I mean, it's Wednesday evening. Man. <laughs> Maybe things changed. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we do the Sunday worship thing, which you talked about. Mm-hmm. Going on also on Sunday mornings right now, Dan Deffenbaugh, our scholar in residence, is continuing his series taking a look at the uh, development of ancient Israel uh, and sort of what came to be known as the Israelite people and the sort of nation of Israel. So... He started that in the whatever the last thing was, fall, I guess, mm-hmm. and um, mostly due to popular demand. Back by popular demand. <laughs> has continued it in the spring. So, um, And a lot of folks have hung with him through all of it, um, And but if a person hasn't, like, you could just hop in. Yeah. It, yeah. It would it's be not one that totally you need to... Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also we've recorded all of uh, his lectures and uh, posted them on our church's YouTube page. So you can go back and watch those if you're very interested. Uh, they're all available there. Mm-hmm. So, and he will continue that through the season of Lent. Uh, yep. So. All right. Uh, not this week, but next week on Thursday, March 7th, the Tabor College Choir will be doing a joint concert with the Hastings College Choir in our sanctuary. That's Thursday, March 7th. Uh, And then we're looking to host the Tabor College Choir that evening uh, since they're on tour. That would require uh, folks uh, who have two empty beds at their house and can take two college students. And then um, you would pick them up after the concert, bring them to your house. They would sleep. The next morning they'd wake up. You'd feed them a light breakfast and get them back to the church. Pretty easy way to show some hospitality to some college students and uh, to connect with them. So we hope uh, you can do that. Robin Kuzer is the one doing that or come by the church office to pick up a form. Yeah. And we are getting closer and closer to Palm Sunday and then Holy Week. And our Holy Week schedule, we will have uh, Monday, Thursday and Good Friday services. And then, of course, Easter Sunday morning. Monday, Thursday is March 28th. That service will be at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. Good Friday is then March 29th, if you can believe it. And that'll be at 7 p.m. also in the sanctuary. And our Easter services, I believe that this is correct. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. We'll have an 8.30 and a 10.30 service. They will both... They're just the same service, but at different times. They'll both be in the sanctuary. They'll both be sort of a, what you might think of as a traditional Easter service, uh, choir, uh, brass, 
all those sorts of things. Um, just kind of give folks an option, either the eight thirty or the ten thirty. Yeah. So. Yep. That's it. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, then, with all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.